track of days already. It is a Thursday night. Uh, we are a few hours removed from uh, the goaltend that um, may have inched the Knicks closer to Zion Williamson. I have no idea. It would be pretty funny if they, they won a few extra ping pong balls um, <laughs> by one extra loss. But, um, well, so we're going to touch on that game with our guest today, but we're also going to touch on some other bigger picture stuff. Uh, but first, let me introduce our guest, and he is someone that uh, has been on the pod earlier this season. I'm very excited to have him back on because his column that he somehow puts out once a week, and I'm going to ask him about this because I don't know how the hell he does it, uh, it has become my my go-to thing that I read um, about the Knicks every week, um, and that is Tom Piccolo. Tom, how you doing, man? Jonathan, I'm doing pretty well, man. I did uh, just catch that that goaltend, literally heard and seen around the world. Uh, that, was, <laughs> that was an interesting, very Nixy way to lose. I know Nick's Twitter was was blowing up about that, but uh, yeah, it's, it, at least they kept it entertaining, you know, for for our folks across the pond. It, it was, it, you know, what it was actually, um, it was an entertaining game. They looked amazing for for three quarters, and then. Um, and then the Wizards just started switching everything. And then as as JB tweeted out uh, in the middle or late in the fourth quarter, it's like it was as if the Knicks had never seen a switching defense before. But then again, given the fact that most of them are relative children in the NBA, um, maybe that's actually not far from the truth. Yeah, so, not too surprising. I mean, there was a little something in that game for everyone, uh, for for. Knicks fans who are team tank, they were definitely happy with the result. And for, for Knicks fans who are team development, there was some some promising stuff to see there too. So yeah, I think I think people were happy on on both sides or unhappy. On yeah, both I was sides. <laughs> I was about to say this is New York. People are unhappy regardless of of which <laughs> angle you're taking. Um, so actually, before we get to our content, I have to I really do have to commend you because like there is just in avalanche of Nick's stuff out there. Um, you know, we put out a lot on our site. There's other blogs that put out a lot of stuff. And, I, you know, I try to check some of it out when I can. You know, but obviously time is, is limited. Um, your column, I make it a point um, to read every week. And if you're out there and you haven't um, checked it out yet, it, it, you put it out every week on B-Ball Index and the reason is because you always find like unique angles to write about. Like I live and die with this team. I feel like I know everything there is to know about this team. And then I read what you put out there and I'm like, God, I did not realize that. And we were starting to talk before we started recording and you were about to tell me like about your process and I was like, "Wait, hold off because I want to I want this to be on the podcast." So like, how do you go about picking what you write about every week? Well, first off, I appreciate you saying those those things because there is just so much good Nick stuff out there now. So, uh, eh, no, most of, most of it's good. It's, yeah. Some of it's yeah. there's some iffy stuff out there too. We're not going to name names. 
Uh, I'm not going to call out any of your former guests here. That's a, no. <laughs> <laughs> unless it's unless it's Drew Steele. Please call out Drew Steele on the podcast because that would be nothing better than that. Uh, no, I, I can't. I, you know, I'm not big enough to make enemies yet. So <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but I will say th- there are really three different ways that I will find things to write about, and the first is like the most kind of visceral way. So I'll be watching a game, and I'll just my wife would be able to test to this. Like I'll just make a sound like oh. Like, I, like something will surprise me and like just I will have to rewatch it. And if it catches my eye and like makes me literally make a sound, then I'll be like, well, I better better take that down. Make note of that. And if that happens twice or three oh, times, the double then, sound, uh, that's, uh, that's big. Then, yeah, that's that's definitely worth writing about. The other thing is I'll watch a play and I'll just think like, how did that happen? Like, what pieces had to move around in order for that result to come to be. So I will just rewatch something multiple times and just try and like break it down. Kind of like the way JB does. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just so good at it and he's got the nice graphics on the video where he'll pause it and tell you what's happening before it even happens. He's great about that, but just that's just going back and rewatching plays where I'm kind of confused about what happened or because the game happens at such a speed. I'm not, I'm not some expert who can just see it and automatically know what's happening. So I do have to watch and rewatch the games. And that's why these pieces take me so long. But, uh, and then the, in the last way I do it is I just, I scour a lot of these stats websites and, until I see something that, that really surprises me or something I wouldn't have guessed from just using the eye test from watching these games. Sure. So yeah. that's, that's really it. It's what makes me surprised to the point where I react and then, uh, just, really confusion just how did that happen how could that stat be it's it's trying it's it's like curiosity really um well whatever you're doing it it's working because again it you've you've managed to pry into a lot of the players that um well i mean you've pried into pretty much all the players at some point this year but you you've really focused in on the ones that i think um Knicks fans care about moving forward um but I don't want to start with any of the players, actually. I, I, I would rather actually start with um, the coach. And what I what I thought we would do today is kind of a little, um, I don't know, a little cheesy game show gimmick, like a, a buy or sell. And, you know, with the Knicks, where we're at right now in 2019, moving forward, I think everybody could agree, you know, Porzingis, get him for as many years as you can. He's a keeper. Um, Kevin Knox, definitely, we've seen enough. He's a keeper. Um, even Mitchell Robinson, I'm willing to put in that category. Um, and again, no one is like untradeable, but as far as I'm concerned, what we've seen from Mitch, this is a guy that you want to consider part of your core moving forward. And then there's some guys that we're definitely out on that we, we, uh, we don't have to name, but we will, we will be counting the hours until they are, are, uh, elsewhere. Uh, and then there's the guys that are in the middle. And those are the guys that I want to talk about. Uh, today, with the exception of the first person, the first person I want to talk about is the coach, and that's David Fisdale. And I think we could be, we could rest assured that, you know, Fizz, could, short of losing every other game this season, and I, I don't even know if that would do it, uh, he's going to have a job after this year and going into into next season. Overall, um, I think I asked, um, I think I asked Robert Silverman this the other the other night, but I'll ask you. What grade would you give Fizz um, at this point right now, based on everything like altogether? 
That's a really tough question. Um, it is. It, I, I pride myself on putting my guests in a really tough spot. Well, a lot of it just goes so much into, into expectations too. Um, like what did you really expect for him to do with this, with this crop of talent that he's, that he's working with here? Um, you know, and I know you've brought up before, like, is it even possible to, to take a, a roster like this and make them do the, the beautiful game, you know, 2014 Spurs basketball? Like that's not really feasible for such a, a young and talent, you know, limited team. And, and I totally subscribe to that. I think what a lot of people will call out on Twitter is, is rotations. I know a lot of – like my friends were texting me at the end of that Knicks-Wizards game today, and they were saying, why wouldn't you put defensive-minded players in there for that last possession? Like, yeah, what's, a lot of people were calling for Mitch on that, on that last possession. For sure, and that, that's totally justifiable. So, I mean – He's he deserves to come back next season and show what he can do with a full roster, full meaning with Porzingis. Um, I'd like to see kind of what he is able to do with the offense if he can get a little more creative on that end. But uh, yeah, I feel like I'm being a little bland and giving him a C here. No, uh, I think no. That listen, I think that's reasonable. Uh, you know, because again, they're what are they? They're ten and thirty four now. I mean, like how high a grade can you give someone that's that's the coach of a ten and thirty four team, right? Yeah, they're not exceeding expectations with their record here, so you know I can't I can't go too positive. But at the same time, I, I didn't expect a whole lot better either. Um, and, and it's not like some of his players with injuries and, and like with Tim Hardaway Jr. being your best player ostensibly, and just oh, God. whether he's injured or what's going on with him. Like if that's what your best player is giving you, there's not a ton Fizdale can do. It's just some some tactical things, the the rotations. The having a, a unified uh, criteria for, for for player minute allocation. I wrote about this before with with Frank. Yeah, um, deserving some more minutes after that that Denver game. But then he had his injury, and so it's just it's it, it's not anyone who thinks it's easy is they're wrong. Straight up, this is not what Fizdale's doing is not an easy task. So that's what I want to actually key in on because you wrote something in your and I talked to you about it a little bit earlier today. You wrote something in your your New Year's column in, in terms of I think it was uh, three <laughs> three resolutions for the team this year, and you wrote that it's reasonable to project that as the team's core grows together, Fizdale will be able to implement more sophisticated schemes to create better looks at the rim, because um, they get looks at the rim um, on about an average pace, but they hit them at a very below average rate, which means the looks that they're getting at the rim are not easy looks. And then I, you also mentioned, I think elsewhere in the same piece that they're dead last in corner threes, which other than open looks at the rim are the easiest shots in the game. So then you continue and you write, um, combine that with the potential for the growth from their high usage players in playmaking for others. And we should expect better, uh, efficiency on on dump offs passes underneath the rim and it just it got me thinking like everybody is calling for a more sophisticated offense like even with the understanding that this team is with a bunch of very young players at some point we need to see something more so that you know we don't get a repeat of the fourth quarter today where they had um 11 points in 12 minutes which is like you know that's not okay what like I, I, we were talking about, like you know, it's like the chicken or the egg. Does do they have to get more playmakers first for there to be a more sophisticated offense, or do you think that there's more that could be being done right now that isn't being done? 
I think it, it is totally fair to say that their just complete lack of of capable playmakers is is leading to this. I know so like at the B ball index where I write, we have kind of our, our own proprietary grading system and the Knicks rank they actually moved up they're up to twenty ninth in our playmaking category. Wow yeah, that's, that's progress. Um, that's something. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the Cavs just dropped off to the thirtieth or something. But um, yeah, like when Moutier is your best playmaker and probably by a pretty wide margin, that's not that's not saying a lot for for this group. Um, I, I think that that your point's well taken. That Fisdale is going to need more from from those types of players that they're going to need, like Frank for example is going to need to just improve and be more consistent in terms of his ability to make plays for others um otherwise I don't know how much better this team's going to get like it, it really is a player driven league and no matter what Fisdale implements and, and my thing is also like there are players on this Knicks team who despite the kind of basic offense they put it upon themselves I know we talked about it last time when I was here and I can't believe I'm bringing him up again, but Mario Hazonia continues to be the best like off-ball cutter on the team. Anytime he just feels like his defender is relaxing even a little bit, he's going to bolt to the rim, and whether he gets the ball or not, the defense has to react, and it matters. Like Every little thing like that adds up. And so there are opportunities that – and Dotson kind of does it too sometimes where you can just yeah. take it upon yourself. Ad-lib a little bit. There's room in this offense to – to ad lib and, and improvise, and and I think that's not on Fisdale. That's just on the players learning to play together and, and learning to play NBA basketball. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I was just thinking to myself in my in my the deep uh, dark depths of my soul. Like, is it possible? Like, some of the guys on this team just aren't very. I don't want to say not smart basketball players, but like. Tim Hardaway Jr. Does like I feel like I never see Timmy attempt to cut towards the basket, and like I, you know I could give a guy like Knox a pass because he's a child, you know, relatively speaking, um, you know, similar to similar with with Frank or even Mitch, but like Hazonia cuts, like you just said, Dotson cuts, we see that. Like Timmy, what? Like why is this? Am I? Is he doing it? And I'm missing it. Like what? What's going on here? It's just crazy. No, I mean Timmy for for someone who plays off ball as often as he does. Like yes, he he does like to have the ball in his hands, but he also is can be a traditional shooting guard too. Uh, he really d- does not do a whole lot of cutting. And uh, I mentioned the B ball index's stats before, and the Knicks do rank dead last in in points um, over expectation in in cuts. Like they're they're cutting they're the worst cutting team in the league is what that means. So. Um, yeah, what you're seeing with your eyes is backed up by, by stats too, and and Tim Hardaway Jr. is definitely a part of that. Yeah, um, yeah, I I can't talk about Tim because I'll just I'll get a headache and it's late at night and I I, I want to go to bed without a headache. So yeah, we're not going to talk about Tim because uh, he sucks. Um, yeah, <laughs> let's talk about somebody you just brought up. And so actually, wait, hold on before we have to we have to keep true to the the spirit of the podcast. Are you are you buying or selling Fisdale based on what what you've seen so far? I, I'm definitely not ready to sell him. I mean, okay. As far as getting rid of him for next season, no, I, I'm not I'm not ready for that at all. So okay. yeah, if, if those are my options. I'm I'm buying. Thank God for small miracles. All right, let's talk about Moutier. Um, I tweeted out today that like. Uh, it's. I thought of the 
the scene from Godfather Three, the one the one redeeming scene from that movie. Uh, every time every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in, and that's how I feel about Moutier. It's like every time you're ready to give up on him, be like, yeah, this this is what this guy is. He's maybe a good backup, maybe a very 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 low end starter. And then he'll have these spurts of games where, like today, he was eight for nine at one point and just and just kind of getting to the rim at will, which was aided by somebody else on the court, which we're going to talk about. But where are you at with Moody? I know you wrote a couple weeks about how a, a couple weeks ago about how he was up to some of his old uh, not so good tricks. Um, where are you at with Moody right now? So just from this game uh, in London, I actually didn't. Get- didn't get a chance to watch the full thing because it was it was during during the workday. The Knicks were kind of rude playing at three p.m. on a workday, but uh, very I did watch. <laughs> I did watch all of Moutier's, uh made buckets, and he, so he finished eleven of eighteen from the field. Six of those were just on point blank layups and dunks, um, and so he was he was really doing a good job finishing around the rim, which he started the season doing that, but he's really re- regressed since then. I was just looking at uh, cleaning the glasses stats. He's only hitting 53% of his shots at the rim, yeah, which crazy. is no, it's, a, it's the 21st percentile for point guards. Oof. So, yeah, that's – when I had, I had written a piece earlier in the season about Moutier's finishing, and he was closer to like 50 to 55 percentile. So he was about league average, and he's really re- regressed since then. Um, but at the same time, he's still the best driver on the team. He gets into the paint the most of anybody Um he just what he's been doing is really settling for more of these mid-range floater type shots. But he's hitting them. I mean, That's the thing. I, yeah, he's been he's hitting them. But we've been Knicks fans have been fooled by that before with Trey Burke. Like we know that that's not really that sustainable, and I I don't think it is either. I, obviously, Moutier is a much bigger player, so like yeah. his ability to, to finish over people uh, from floater range is probably he has a better chance of that to sustain that, but. At the rate he's hitting him, it's it's just been too much. So, you know, look, you, you have to realize that with a guy like Moutier, there is value in having someone who can semi-competently run an NBA offense. And as much as we love Frank, like, he can't consistently get good looks for teammates. It's not to say he never will be able to, but right now there, there's no question he can't do it. He's not capable. So today, like, Moutier's ability to get into the paint and create for others, it's beneficial for other players' development. And we have to recognize that that there is value there. So, I I completely agree with that, and I and that's one of those other things where it's like when I watch the games with Moutier, I I don't feel like he has the tunnel vision that some on on Twitter at least um, accuse him of. Like I I get comments on my Twitter. I'm like, am I am I not seeing the game correctly? Because I feel like when there's a, a lane there for him to take to get to the basket, he'll take the lane. But if it's not there, he's usually pretty good about about giving it up. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think in one of my last couple columns, I'd written that he was, I, I mentioned just before, he was driving like top 10 in the league. Yeah, like, I remember that. Driving. But he was also assisting on like 13.5% of those, which was towards the upper tier of these high-volume drivers. And that corresponds with what with what I'm looking at too. I, he's I don't think of him as a, as a ball hog. I don't think he's out there looking for his own shot every time he, he drives the hoop. So um, yeah, other other shots I wish that he you know he could have back the mid rangers that he takes. Sure, but at the same time, like today he was making them. Uh, I don't expect that to to continue. But 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, he's the best playmaker on the team. He leads the team in assists per game, which is not saying a lot. Yeah, there, I was about to say. It's a little thinnest, thinnest kid at Fat Camp uh, argument yeah. there. <laughs> there are games where he leads the team in assists with like three, which is it, it's a pretty sad state of affairs. I wish you were kidding. <laughs> it it, it might have happened today, to be honest. Like, who who led the Knicks in assists? It was Trier with three. Like, that's... Oh, dear God. Yeah. yeah the, we could move on. Yeah, I was about to say, it's tough to have a Knicks podcast late at night when you're talking about big picture stuff, because if you're not careful, you really could sink into a deep depression. Um, so, all that said on Moutier, um, his defense, I, I think it's fair to say, has been largely the same throughout the year. Would you Would you say that? Yeah, particularly, well, his transition defense has been really bad lately and maybe it's it's really been like that all season but i've noticed it more lately um yeah he's yeah. he's just he's a he's not a good defender i don't get the sense that the i i i mean i guess it's like a lateral quickness issue it, it's a i don't i don't know what the issue is with him but it, it's it hasn't improved where are you at in terms of like if someone told you that emmanuel Moutier was going to be the starting point guard on this team next year on a one-year deal um, you know, just would would you be happy about that? Are you buying or or selling Moutier? I mean, a one year deal would makes me makes me feel comfortable just because I don't know that he's really in the long term, like long long term plans for this team. But next year they're still going to need a competent point guard who can distribute the ball. I mean, Porzingis will have the ball a lot too, but he's not initiating offense in any way and and there's no chance that frank is going to have developed so much that he'll be able to take on that responsibility himself so someone's got to do it and if it's not moutier you know your other options are these are these top tier free agents or or people think Kyrie could come and and maybe he will but i'm not banking on that so yeah one one year deal yeah I'm, i'm comfortable with i'm buying moutier for next season um I, I don't know how much he's going to be worth. I don't know if other teams are going to be willing to pay him more, but yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, my my thinking all along has been um, if Durant doesn't come and they just want to roll the cap space over for a year or bide their time and sign a bunch of guys to a one year deal I'll, or one year deals, a la what the Lakers did this year. In the event that some you know superstar demands a trade uh, mid season. Then like yeah, Moody is a guy that I'd be comfortable having back on like a one year. I think he'd come back if you offered him like one year. I don't know, eight million dollars or, or something along those lines. Um, okay, so we're buying Moody. That's that's fair. Well, I mean, um, it's just who else? Like next year, you need development. You need continued development. Yeah. No, I next. agree. I agree with you. That's I, right. I, who else is gonna like? Because what other free agent is gonna come in here? What other free agent point guard is gonna come in here? on a one-year deal that is like, you know, worth their, worth their salt. I, I don't, I just, I don't see it. Yeah. And you don't want Trier running the show next year. Oh like. Christ. No. Oh, <laughs> you, you, you really are trying to give me agita before bedtime, which please don't do that. I love that word, by the way. Eh, you know, us Italians, we have our little, little catchphrases. Um, <laughs> all right, let's, let's move on to the guy that, made Moutier's life um, a little bit easier out there today and and has generally been making life easier for the Knicks on both ends of the floor um, of late, and that's Luke Cornett. 
Um, so you wrote about his floor spacing recently and about how much that has opened up the offense. Um, what do you what do you like about Cornette the most? Well, I just I just mentioned Moutier's game today, and if you look back at all of his uh, dunks and layups, like five of the six of them came with Cornette on the floor when he was in a, a pick and pop situation. And he was pulling the big away from the rim, and it's just it's so obvious like what he does for this offense. And so I, I just looked it up in the last since Christmas, so the last nine games, Cornette has been the biggest difference in in on off for the offense. So the Knicks score 11.4 points per 100 possessions more when he's on the court than when he's off, and that's the biggest uh, margin on the team by a pretty wide margin. So, like, there's no question his impact on this offense. It's not just in these, you know, offensive ratings. You you can see it. The bigs have to get out and guard him. His, his three-point shot is the real deal. Like, he's a legitimate 40% three-point shooter, and he can he can hit some of these from deep. Like he's I, I was about to say he's like him and like Brooke Lopez, it seems like some of these bigger guys. I don't know, it's because they're taller, their range extends another couple of feet. It's nuts. It seems that way. Like he's got that Ryan Anderson range and it just it has such a it's such a benefit for the the rest of the players and it it makes space for guys like Frank. I know I think JB put a video together of that of like showing Cornet's impact that way too, and yeah, no, and actually, he, JB just sent out a, a tweet a few minutes ago saying that when Washington started switching everything, um, instead of Cornet popping to give Moody, like you just were saying, he did uh, to give Moody a space, he was posting up because he got a mismatch, which only cramped space, and it it goes back to like if anybody out there listening still thinks that like uh, a big guy posting up a small guy is, is the path to efficient NBA offense, like. Yeah, there's, you know, five or six guys in the league that's true for, but the rest of them, it's like, nope, that's what the defense wants you to do, and that's why the Knicks couldn't get anything going late. But anyway. I mean, it's, it's, people think the post game is dying, but it's an extremely valuable skill, like with all the switching and the mismatches created. But Cornette's, Cornette ain't that guy. No, so. no, he is, <laughs> he is not. Um, so I think... I think the answer in terms of like, would you want Cornette back next year? That's that's an easy buy. I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna pose it to you so that it's a little bit more difficult. Um, if you have to go multiple years on Cornette, like where are you at right now in terms of years, dollars, like? How valuable is he in terms of essentially a poor man's KP for when KP has to go to the bench? So I, I'm not a cap expert by any means, but I know – so Hazonia is coming off the books. We used our mid-level exception on him. Yeah. So ba- so basically what we're talking is, it, again, everything falls into the Durant comes universe or the Durant does not come universe. And if Durant comes, it's basically you're looking at the room exception and depending on who they move, like a little bit of salary under the cap. Assuming they moved Lee – then you'd have you know a couple million dollars in wiggle room. Um, Man, if, if I will say if Durant comes, I don't know that we're talking about Luke Cornett. <laughs> you know what? That might be the smartest thing any fucking person has said on this podcast. This year. I'm, just, I'm comfortable operating under for this for the purpose of this the the Luke Cornett buy or sell discussion. I'm comfortable saying uh, Durant is not coming. Okay. Uh, thank you. In this for, hypothetical. Thank you for bringing sanity back to the podcast. It's amazing how I talk about it all the time like not getting 
so deep in the forest that you lose sight of the trees. I, that's exactly what just happened to me. All right. Durant's not coming here. You have uh, oodles of cap space. Um, in a vacuum, what do you think What do you think Cornette is worth to keep on this team? I mean, he's 23 years old. Like, can he get better? Yeah, I mean, I think on, on defense he could probably get better with awareness. I don't know that you're going to see much better in terms of his shooting. Um, but like, he, maybe he could get better at, at posting up mismatches. Uh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm thinking like if you gave him th- – like if you were going out three years probably. Yeah, th- like, three years would be the most you'd give him. If you gave him three years, I feel like three years around like, I don't know, 12 million. Is that is that nuts? So you're saying four mil a year? Yeah, yeah that's four what million was, a year. Yeah, I was I was thinking in the three to four mil a year range. Something so that like I mean that. that really is the like the biannual exception amount that that Trier got, and I feel like that's so Trier is getting three and a half mil next yeah, year. So I the, feel like the, that's kind of where Cornet is. The biannual is I think three and a half. Trier currently occupies that. Um, the room exception, um, which they'll have uh, this summer, that's closer to four and a half million dollars. So he, oh, actually, before we move on to to the next buy or sell guy, if you had to if you had to pick one guy for the biannual next year, I don't know if this actually if it works like this. Like if they cut um, Trier because I know he's non guaranteed. If they could then turn around and use the biannual again on Cornet, I actually don't know if that's true. But just in a fantasy world where that could be true, which one of those two guys would you rather have on this team for the next like let's say two three years? Trier or Cornet? Yeah. Man. It's a tough one, right? It's a lot tougher than it would have been like three weeks into the season, <laughs> where I would have like literally laughed you off the podcast. Yeah, but, you uh, can't do that now. No, that's that's a it's a tough one. I, but I, I, I think I, I'm gonna go Trier. Yeah, uh, I, me too. I, I like to say Trier. By the way, do people call you out on that? So here's a quick aside. Here's I'm gonna update everybody listening for where we're at. Please, I was calling him um, Trier the entire season. People started to get annoyed with it and were like, he's not Trier, he's Trier. I'm like, okay. And then I started to make more of an effort to call him Trier. And then he had the special on MSG where his mom was interviewed, the woman who gave birth to him, and guess what she referred to him as? Trier. So why am I fighting it? Why am I fighting it? This is like the drug that it has no side effects. I'm just, I'm going Trier. Like, until yeah. I hear somebody else that's closer to him than his goddamn mom tell me that that's wrong, I'm going Trier. Sorry. All right, man. I, you convinced me then. If it if it's good enough for Mama Trier, it's good enough for me. There, it's Exactly. Thank you. All right. So, no, but I, I think I would go with, with Trier for the biannual. Um, you know, he, he still has a lot of upside, just attacking the rim. Uh, he looked pretty good today, I got to say. He looked yeah. okay. As long as that shot comes back, I, I really do think it's just a little slump. I, I, I'm not too worried about him losing his shot or anything like that. Yeah, I was actually I was surprised. Um, Jonathan Wasserman, uh, I think it was about two weeks ago, put out like a, a mock redraft of of the the draft that just happened, and I think he had I don't know what, what the exact numbers were. I think it was uh, Trier at 19 and Mitch at 20. Mitch Robinson at 20. Which I, I actually thought was kind of nuts because to me I don't know I I I see Mitch as like 
I don't know. I'm very high on Mitchell Robinson. Probably irrationally so, but I just, I don't know. I think he, the sky's the limit for that dude. Um, anyway, yeah, but so, all right, enough about uh, those guys. Last, The last buy or sell guy that I wanted to talk to, and it's a guy that I feel like gets lost in the shuffle a lot for reasons that, um, I don't know, maybe he, because he doesn't really stand out on the court a lot if you're not paying attention to him, is uh, Damian Dotson. And the piece that you wrote about Dotson, uh, I think it was maybe last week or the week before, is about how he's really great on offense um, moving around screens. So can you can you talk about that a little bit? Because I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, well, this is just something I noticed watching him. He would go from just standing still, like a lot of the guys in the Knicks do, just kind of standing around, to just full-out sprinting around a screen. And, like, in basketball you run a lot, but you I don't know how often you really get up to top speed unless it's like a fast break. Like in the half court, it just doesn't seem to happen that often. And you watch the other guys on the Knicks make cuts, and it's usually like Bullshit. Yeah, it's usually just like a a nonchalant, like going through the motions kind of cut down the middle where either they're just not expecting the ball or they don't think that they're going to get a pass. So like Dotson full-out sprinting around screens really caught my eye. I was like, oh, that's – that's pretty surprising. So I actually went into the, the NBA.com. They have that tracking system to see how fast people are in the half court. Okay. And I was surprised. Like, he, he wasn't towards the top. He wasn't, like – but that was the interesting thing is, like, he he sprints in just, like, little spurts. He's not constantly running around. He will just go from a dead stop where he's walking or just not moving at all to just full-out sprinting. And it's just so effective – Getting, getting the defense, like like I said with Hazonia, to react and to collapse, or to just when, when he's sprinting off a pin down from the from the block up to the to the wing, just getting defenders to to shade over towards him, and it creates space on the other side of the court. Like it, it's just little ripple effects that you don't notice unless you're really looking for it. Yeah, and um, it's and like you you kind of just mentioned he he will do that and then he'll stop on a dime and he'll put it up and I you know I'm I always expect to look at his shooting percentages and expect I I think that they're going to be higher than they are right now he's at um 36.7% from 3 um 43% overall his effective field goal percentage is uh, 51. It's actually identical to what it was last year. He was at .516 last year. He's at .517 this year. But that's obviously with um, a, a pretty significant uptick in volume and, and minutes. I and plus the rebounding. He's he's averaging 3.7 rebounds a game in 25 minutes. I I'm like so high on Dotson. I know his off ball defense hasn't been that great this year. He gets lost off ball a lot. You you had it before Zach Lowe made it cool. I know. <laughs> um, where are you at on Dotson overall? As as I'm going to say, a core piece for this team moving forward. Well, the nice thing about Dotson is that he's on the books for next season at and nothing. One point six mil. Yeah, that I mean. He'll be 25 next year, and I mean it's nice you can kind of kick the can down the road on that and, and make that decision next year. I imagine he'll still be getting substantial minutes next season unless unless Durant comes and like this team looks entirely different. See, but, but that's uh, the thing. I, I want to cut you off. I feel like he's a guy that if there was better talent on this team, 
and like you know more creation, more shooting around him. I still feel like he's a guy that could get twenty five minutes a night because th- he's like he's hitting you know the, these threes now, and like he doesn't usually have a whole lot of space to get a shot off because I feel like other teams pay more attention to him than they do obviously guys like you know Vonley and and uh, Moutier and and maybe even Timmy. Um, that's I don't know. That's why I'm so high on him. I feel like he could slot into like a better team. He does come off as kind of a two-way guy. I, I think his his on-ball defense is is pretty strong. It's not to say he doesn't get blown by every once in a while, but it it is that off-ball stuff that really is is bothersome. Uh, so he, he's not like a an actual two-way guy. He's kind of like a two-way guy in theory. And uh, if he could step it up on on defense and still be what he is on offense, which is it's not like he's a lot of craft or anything. Like he's he's a straight line driver. He he'll he'll catch and shoot he'll catch and shoot on the move like he's got some versatility to his jump shot but like as far as handling the ball and creating offense for himself and others there's there's not a whole lot he can do in my opinion um but as an ancillary piece as like a, a fifth starter he could be he, he can fill that role pretty nicely so your the buy and sell question for Dotson is this um are you are you including Dotson if it unloads Courtney Lee's salary before this trading deadline? Yes or no? Yes, I would. You would? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So you're definitely lower on Dotson than me. I don't know. I some about you, this you guy. Wouldn't, you wouldn't attach him to, to Courtney <sighs> Lee? Oh, boy. I'd have to think about it, wouldn't I? Um, I don't know. I just feel like it, it, you're – at that point, then you are like sacrificing a potential asset. Whereas, if Durant, again, in the fantasy world where Durant considers coming to the Knicks, if that happens and you need to move Lee off the books in the summer, I feel like at that point Lee's going to be an expiring contract. Um, you just you know you package him with like one of the Charlotte second rounders that are coming your way. Or even like I don't know. I'd, if you ask me, like, would you rather have Dotson under uh, cost control next year and then have his restricted free agency rights, or would you rather have those two Charlotte second rounders? I, uh, God, I'd have to think about it. I'd have to think about it. Wouldn't I? Don't know. I don't know what the answer would be. I'm I'm high on Dotson. I just I like him. Something about him. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that's altogether rational. Uh, speaking of not altogether rational. Last person I want to talk about because, again, we are contractually obligated to mention him every time we record an episode of the Next Film School podcast is Frank Nilakina. Um, you've written a fair amount about Frank this year, I feel like it's safe to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you – where the hell are you on Frank? I, I don't know that I'm the, the most rational person to talk about Frank. Like, I, I love Frank. Like, I really, I know you do too. I know I'm preaching the choir. It's just yes, me a Frank yeah. love fest. Like, I, I'll try to avoid that and be as objective as possible. But, like, I'm, I'm a fan of his game. Like, even in that game against uh, Philadelphia the other day, uh, he finished 4 of 11 from the field. But, well, but 10 of his shots were, were at the rim. Yeah, they were. He finished with eight points, six assists, zero turnovers, yeah. and like you said, he was just so aggressive getting to the basket. He was zero two from the free throw line, which is pretty. I mean, actually, if you look at his last several games, he's been really rough from the free throw line. Yeah, no, that that was odd. Um, I don't know why that was, but just to you, you mentioned the 
the low turnovers, the one number that has actually improved this year from last year with him has been the turnover percentage. He's he's improved that a, a fair amount. And maybe some of that is because he's asked to have the ball in his hands a little less. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. But uh, at the same time, like I just every time I see him do something positive, it sticks out more in my memory than when he's. Well, why? Also, why I mean, is that? More memorable. It was. It's also just more memorable than, than him standing in the corner not doing anything. Like that's not seared into my brain. It's him <sighs> it, like dunking on people and just. No, uh, I, 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 I don't know that I could honestly a- answer the question, but I wonder if he was the twenty sixth pick in not not even the twenty sixth pick. If he was the seventeenth pick in the 2017 draft would we both feel the the same way that we do and i i do not know the answer i have no idea i'm i'm kind of leaning towards no that i would probably like there is something about that high lottery pick that you just maybe it's irrational but look he's shown enough flashes we knew he was a project coming in like if if we aren't patient with this player like then who are we going to be patient for it doesn't like this is the prototype of a player that you would have to be patient for he's coming over from france he's not he was 19 years old like he's a kid and uh he's playing on a bad team with without a whole lot of uh, of players to, to lift him up so i'm just preaching patience with frank i don't I wonder what his ceiling is. Like I think about that a lot, and I, okay. I actually want to write a piece. I, I want to do kind of like a series of pieces where I look at ceilings, floors, and then kind of like most likely outcome using players from the past. And I really wonder like who we've seen before in the NBA that that is kind of would correlate to Frank's ceiling as a player. Uh, do you have an opinion on that? Or um, I. <sighs> I've thought a lot about it as well, and the ceiling the ceiling that I keep coming back to is not in terms of player type as far as like he's gonna be like this player, but in terms of the role he could have on a good team or on a team if he hits a ceiling and the guy I always come back to was like Robert Ory um where Robert Ory was like he was you know, on the Rockets teams that he was on when he was a kid, and then the Lakers teams he was on later, and the Spurs teams he was on. It's like, yeah, he was like the fifth guy on the floor. It's like whenever he was out there, most of the time, he was the fifth guy on the floor. But you know what? He did a lot of crap that other guys didn't want to do, didn't care about whether he scored or not, um, could knock down a big shot, didn't, like, just unselfish guy, you know, better than you thought he was, you know, on, on defense. Like, again... Not comparing the players, obviously, but in terms of like the role on a team. Now, obviously, that's contingent on him uh, no longer being the worst high volume, uh, depending on what your definition of high volume is, shooter in the entire freaking league, which Frank Milikina is right now. Um, <laughs> that, that needs to improve. But yeah, that's that's my ceiling for him. And you know, maybe having a Robert Ory level impact as your ceiling isn't ideal for an eighth overall pick. Um, but I'm glad you took it somewhere realistic. I am curious just how he gets there. Like though, like what player would that most look like? How does he get to that Robert Ory level impact? And 
like uh, the guy I come to is is Andre Iguodala, but like late that's career. That's such an interesting one because I've thought about that too. But I, it's again obviously not the player type because Andre Iguodala was in the freaking dunk contest. Like, well, I was but, say so. I'm thinking like late career Iguodala yeah, because yeah. Iggy nowadays like he he will get up for some dunks, but he's not the freak athlete he was no, in yeah. his prime. So I'm thinking more like a smart, savvy player who's a defensive stopper who. I mean, Iggy, you know, two two seasons ago was hitting threes at a better clip than I. I don't know how he's been shooting this year. I haven't watched too much Warriors, but um, you know, if Frank becomes just this capable shooter who's a, a savvy, smart defender who can play make like Iggy does, you know, he runs second unit offenses and uh, and is just like a key cog in in winning. I, I think that's a a player comparison I'm, I'm more comfortable making not not dunk contest iggy yeah no. side of the backboard but like old, older more reserved iggy yeah he's at uh, iggy's at 35 percent uh from three this year on 2.1 uh, attempts a game i'm i'm finishing up a piece on frank that i'll actually may try to finish after we're done recording that will either be out tomorrow or or monday and um if you take out the I think it was 16 games uh, from the. I think it started with the Washington game early in the season where John Wall just like basically took his soul and uh, crushed it in his bare hands, mm-hmm. and then up until the the uh, game before he had the three straight DMPs. If you take that 16 game uh, part of his season out, he's shooting 40 percent from three on the year, which is kind of nuts when you think about it. Um, and obviously for that 16 game stretch, he was shooting, I think it was 14% from three on the year, but it's, I don't know. I, I actually, this is going to sound nuts. I think we'd all be a lot calmer about Frank if his, this is going to sound crazy, if his defense was better. And here's what I mean by that. He came in and lit the world on fire on defense last year, right? He was like whatever it was, second league in the pick-and-roll defense. And this year he's been good, but there have been some, um, how should we say, um, glaring examples where he's gotten lost on picks, where he's gotten blown by. I'm not saying anything untrue, am I? No, no, I think that a lot of that's sort of the the consensus, and I I agree. His defense hasn't been quite as good as last year. I think a lot of people would point to... Porzingis's presence at the rim, like that—that's a huge. Oh huge no, totally! Like there's, there's to be able to funnel into this seven-four. And he's he's you know. playing with arguably the not arguably he is playing with the worst defensive personnel of any any person in the league. There's numbers that show that when he's on the court with Dotson, they play like a top five defense. I get all that, but if he came out this year and he took his defense from the level it was at last year to the level to like another level up, like a cognizable. Like yes, that guy made the like another leap on defense. I don't think people would like they'd be like, yeah, sure, his offense still sucks. Whatever, we'll wait it out. Worst case scenario, he's Andre Roberson, 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 whatever how you pronounce his name, um, which is a guy that has demonstrably affect. Like we see the impact of his, uh, of him on winning. Like just look at OKC's numbers last year, and obviously they're doing well this year. But that's besides the point. Like. But now I feel like we can't even really say that anymore because it's like, yeah, he's still really good on defense most of the time, 
but like there's now that dots and he hasn't been as elite yeah yeah there's now that like inkling of doubt i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know what to do well i mean there's still plenty of us holding on hope for frank so um, yeah i'm not not giving up my plot I, i bought my plot early i'm keeping my plot on on frank island um i know you're right next to me um, we'll be, we'll go down, you know, after global warming takes its hold and, and the island is, is covered up by water. We will, we will go down to the bottom of the ocean with the island. It's okay. I'm good with that. We'll bring our fish. We have our fishing rods. That's all we need. <laughs> um, all right. Anything, anything we haven't touched on any player we haven't touched on anything you want to, you want to say before we sign off? Um, I mean, Von Ley is, is a guy we always I mean, he gets talked about a lot just because of how impressive he's been. I think a lot of people agree he's been the best, probably the best two-way player. I mean, just like the, I mean, the best player. Best player. Can we just say best player? player? Yeah. yeah, that's what that means. Best player on the Knicks this season. Um, so I'm, I'm just really curious to see what the Knicks offer him or what he ends up getting in free agency next year. Um, that's, but other than that, like, I, I would buy Vonley if that were my, if that were the question. You're, you're so you're, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, yeah I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm gonna buy I'm buying. <laughs> I am extremely high on Vonley. That being said, I fully endorse um, my my partner's position in the column he came out with uh, whatever it was today or yesterday. Well, actually, I haven't read it yet. He's saying that they should that the Knicks should see what they can get. Yeah, but, I mean, basically, it's it's because of the way the cap dyna- they could only offer him 120 percent of what his current salary is um, this summer. Mm. As in terms of like, if they don't want to use cap space, if they want to use cap space, they could offer him whatever the hell they want. But if they if they don't want to use cap space, so they're limited to offering him a contract that starts like whatever it is under, I think two million dollars a year. I don't know exactly what he's making, but it's the point is that he has priced himself out of that. So if you go on the theory that they need to use cap space to re-sign him anyway, if you have the opportunity to trade him for something of value, whether it's to unload. Courtney Lee or to get a draft pick or whatever do that and then if you just want to sign him this summer you could still you could still sign him this summer if you know you have cap space to spare because that's what that's how you would sign him anyway or you use the room exception with it which again that doesn't change whether you could do that um whether you trade him or not so that's the that's the gist of it interesting yeah well no i mean I, that that argument has merit. I get it. Uh, I just I'm. You don't want to let go of them. I know. I, I don't want to let go of them. I mean, I, I'm also just not sold that the Knicks cap space is as valuable as maybe some fans think it is. I I'm I just don't. <laughs> you're not you're not drinking the Kool Aid. Maybe it's a glass half empty situation, but I just don't think Durant's coming. I don't think Kyrie's coming. Uh, I think that, and I'm okay with it too. Like I'm cool with with building from the ground up with. You know, with the the draft pick they get in 2019's draft, and and with Knox, he's been looking good. So I'm with Porzingis and Mitchell Robinson. I'm also high on. So I'm I'm not like an all is lost type. If if the Knicks don't get anyone in free agency, the thing that the thing that pisses me off, and the thing that I would I would be a lot more comfortable with it if it wasn't for two things. And here are the two things. One, if they don't make a splash in free agency. I am legitimately worried that Porzingis is going to go seek a um, 
three plus one um, offer sheet with some other franchise, um, which obviously then the Knicks would then match. Um, but then, like the second he signs that with you know three years plus a player option for the for the fourth year, which some team will give him in a heartbeat, the second he signs that. Uh, a ticking clock uh, goes and gets placed above Madison Square Garden, and it's like, okay, got three years, and and it, the the clock starts now. So that's my one concern, and my second concern, and it's tied in with the first concern, is there's no like Paul Millsap free agent this year, which is a guy that you could just blatantly overpay for for like two years and have like a third year team option, which is what Millsap got and just be like, here, we're going to give you all the money, but it's going to be for only two years. Um, That guy isn't out there that like borderline all-star level player, because this summer, all of your borderline all-star level players, your Tobias Harris's and your Chris Middleton's guess what? They're getting friggin' what's that? Yeah. They're getting paid. You said, yeah, they're getting everything. They're getting, they're getting the full, they're getting the, the deluxe sushi, uh, platter for two. Um, so it's like, who's the guy then that you're going to overpay to come here and, and, you know, be like, try to be very good for, for two years. I don't, I don't see that. Like, what do you want to pay JJ Redick? Uh, you know, two years, 40 million. I mean, yeah, I guess you could do that, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm excited about that. Yeah, so that's my concern. Well, I know that I'm not excited about that, but <laughs> hey, he lives in Brooklyn. Yeah, short short commute. <laughs> sure. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I I have no idea. Um, yeah, so those are those are my those are my concerns. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I am very curious. Is there anything that you do? You have any thoughts on the trade deadline? I guess before we go. Um. It would be nice to to attach something to to Courtney Lee. I, I know there's been a lot of talk about Timmy netting something. Um, I don't I don't know what's gonna do it. I don't know what you'd have to attach to Timmy to your soul. Yeah, I, that and, might, and and your and children's souls, Maybe your unborn soul, children's souls. Else. No, your soul, your the soul of your unborn children, and. Um, a Starbucks franchise will uh, will get you off of Timmy's contract, I think, at this point. Yeah, that, that sounds reasonable at this point. Um, <laughs> Are you a Seinfeld fan by any chance? I am. I am a Seinfeld fan. All right. So the negotiate. Let's uh, Perry gets Vladi Divac on the line tomorrow. All right. If you take Timmy off our hands, we will give you free coffee for life and. <laughs> ah! I'll take it. I'll take it. There you go. All right. I think we've gone off the rails sufficiently enough. Um, Tom Piccolo, anything you want to plug or promote before we get you out of here? Um, well, I'm I'm a co-host on the Talking Knicks podcast, so uh, I know you're you're having some Twitter. Yes, we got a, I got a request today. That will, will you guys come on this podcast together next time? I guess. Hey, I think Jake's always available to, to talk hoops. Um, he's he's wow. uh, Some on Twitter. He's talking Jake. He's a, he's a part of the the Talking Yanks podcast. It's actually it's a, a very successful, popular podcast among Yankees fans. I don't know if you're a Yankees fan, but uh, I, I am. I am not a Yankees fan. I'm a Mets fan. But, oh, yeah. No, it, but it's it's you a, are a button for punishment, man. But, um, uh, it's a fair weather. It's a fair weather Mets fandom. I grew up in a Yankees house and. 
I never really cared that much about the Yankees, and then I married a Mets fan who's like a diehard Mets fan. So I'm like, I will, I will give you this. I will give you this because I good business. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I, I want to point out that you threw some low key shade to your partner there. That oh, he's always available. Is he like single, living in his mom's basement type of deal? Or what's... hey, Jake would be the first one to say he's always available to talk Knicks. So okay, that's great. Um, yeah, we can look for him next time. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. So since you're not going to go over the top to do it, I think I did this last time. I don't care. I'm going to do it again. If you are listening to this and you are not following Tom on Twitter and you are not literally reading every word of the columns that he puts out, he was kind when he talked about it before. I'm not going to be as kind. There's a lot of shit out there on the internet that is about the Knicks and, you know, whatever. It's okay, I guess. Um, but Tom's stuff is good, and it will make you a smarter fan. So read his stuff on Twitter. He's at Tom underscore uh, Piccolo. I got your name right this time, right? Yeah, you nailed it. I nailed it. No more Piccolo. Piccolo. Uh, P-I-C-C-O-L-O. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for coming on, man. This was fun. We talked for a lot longer than I, I told you we would, but uh, that's what happens when uh, I've had a couple glasses of wine. So, yeah. And Jonathan, I appreciate you, man. <laughs> anytime um, alright and of course most importantly thank you for listening to another episode of the next film school podcast um, we're happy you were able to join us and uh, I think do I have an episode coming up this weekend yeah I think I do have an episode coming up this weekend and then we got the OKC game OKC game on Monday which we'll have a post game pod coming up after that um, yeah that's it that's all I got we will be back with you soon um, be well live long and prosper Thank you.